the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Stand by for the Northern Alliance Radio Network. And go launch sequence. Engineering. Go flight. Master control. Go flight. Studio engineer. Go flight. We are go for launch in T-minus three, two, one. The Northern Alliance Radio Network is on the air. Live and local from the AM1280 The Patriot Studios in Egan, here is the closer, Brad Carlson. AM1280 Patriot. Northern Alliance Radio Network. Back with hour number two of the broadcast we like to call the closer. That's me, Brad Carlson. Thanks as always for tuning into our show. You can check out my blog at bradcarlson.org. And uh, feel free to follow us along at Twitter just using hashtag NarnShow. That's hashtag N-A-R-N show for any comments or questions. And as always, we appreciate you tuning in. And if you'd like to follow us along on Facebook, just go to Facebook.com, do a search for the Northern Alliance Radio Network, and give us a follow and a like if you haven't done so already. And as always, we appreciate you tuning in on this uh, blessed Easter Sunday. Hoping you are having a uh, great day. A blessed day with you and your family, for Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed, and uh, I am uh, grateful to be with you, uh, as always, here on the Northern Alliance Radio Network. Uh, uh, Sunday morning, a little uh, little bit of snow flurries in some areas of the Twin Cities, uh, not looking a whole lot like a spring Easter Sunday. I will say, I remember Easter Sunday two years ago. Because uh, that was at the height of the pandemic, and I think that was my first or second broadcast from my studio at home. And again, it was Easter Sunday morning. It was just the lockdowns were pretty much in full effect. They were not. They were discouraging people from gathering, you know, for Easter with families. So I did my broadcast, and it was snowy, cold, wet, and miserable outside. And uh, you know. It was a, I'll admit to feeling a little uh, little downtrodden by everything that was going on in the world and how the weather was and all that. But as I'll talk about to wrap up this hour on this Easter Sunday, uh, there's still hope. And the hope is, well, the reason that we're celebrating this holiday. And again, I'll definitely save that for the final segment. But I do want to get to uh, some of the big news stories from this past week. Probably the biggest story that's been circulating this past week from a national standpoint was uh, Tesla CEO Elon Musk making a proposal to buy the little bird site, Twitter, which I use regularly, have been using regularly since I think early 2009 is when I initially got on it and I've been using it regularly. And I've said many times over the past decade plus that were it not for this radio show, and it's a great place to find uh, news and insights and whatnot uh, that I use on this show, I would probably just 86 my account because sometimes it's just not worth 
the the problem. Now there there have been some nice features that I've utilized. Specifically, uh, if you do not follow me on Twitter, I have you on mute. So if someone you know if someone retweets my tweet out there, then you know to their followers and their people that uh, don't follow me and they just up reply to it, I don't see those replies. It's just not worth it as far as I'm concerned. So it's kind of like you know the uh, the pile of horse dung. You're willing to st- throw aside the pile of horse dung because you know there's a pony around somewhere, right? That's kind of my philosophy <laughs> uh, with Twitter. But at some point, you just get tired of sifting through horse dung, and it's just not worth it anymore. And I felt that a lot. But again, because I find follow so many uh, phenomenal people with terrific insights. Ah, you know, I, I keep it around as long as I have this radio show. But if I didn't have the show, I'd probably get rid of it. Why well, I bring all that up to say that Elon Musk put out a tweet on uh, this would have been Thursday morning, and he attached an SEC, a Securities and Exchange Commission's official document, indicating that he is looking, making an offer to buy Twitter, and he was already a the largest shareholder on Twitter, I think within the past couple of weeks, he bought 9.5% of the company's stock, making him the largest shareholder. And as a result, uh, he was invited to be a part of the Twitter board. And the current Twitter CEO, whose name escapes me, as well as uh, former CEO Jack Dorsey, who still sits on the board, they're all saying, hey, we look forward to having Elon Musk on the board, discuss some ideas, what we can do to go forward and improve the uh, user experience of Twitter, yada, yada, you know, the, pretty much the boilerplate uh, response. Well, then it was indicated a few days later that Elon Musk would not be joining the board. And people are like, hmm, what's going on here? Well, the few days later, then, of course, he made this offer to purchase Twitter. I think uh, the purchase price for all of the stock that he wanted to buy was, I think, of $43 million, if I'm not mistaken. Don't remember the exact figure, but it was something like that. So it was pretty obvious that his initial purchase of stock uh, was indicating that he was playing a much larger game. And uh, Frank J. Fleming on Twitter came out and said, Elon Musk is literally attempting to own the libs, So, <laughs> which I thought was a funny way of putting it. Because let's be honest, Twitter, while the powers at B, the powers that be at Twitter have continually denied it, there's no question their enforcement of the company's terms of service were overwhelmingly more harsh in censoring conservative speech. I mean, the, the most egregious example, of course, was the New York Post's Twitter account. New York Post, a reputable newspaper that's been around literally more than a century, put out a story about a month before Election Day, maybe even less than a month before Election Day 2020, about Hunter Biden's laptop being found at a repair shop and the insidious materials that were found on this laptop, including documents that could indict his father, who happened to be the Democrat nominee for president, Joe Biden. And had that story got out, it's very possible in such a close election, specifically within the swing states, where if a few thousand votes are changed in any of these swing states, all of a sudden the election could potentially have shifted to Donald Trump. But 
Twitter spiked the story, said, no, no, the, the story is, is based on, on hacked materials. You know, according to our terms of service, we don't post stories that are based on conjecture like that, hacked materials, whatever else. Well, technically it wasn't hacked. Hunter Biden left the laptop behind at this repair shop and forgot about it and therefore became uh, the, the repair shop property to do with it as they saw fit. But amazingly, Twitter didn't have any problem reporting uh, when Donald Trump, the first year of his presidency, didn't have any problem with stories being allowed to circulate that talked about Donald Trump's tax returns that were obtained via a hack. So, again, this is just one of many, many examples where they're very selective in how they censor users, and it's almost always predominantly in favor of progressives and against conservatives. Now, I've doggedly maintained that, as a private enterprise, it's Twitter's right to do that. It's their right to remove who they see fit, because they're not a body of government. And this is a problem I've had with conservatives looking to regulate big tech or you know, Trump looking to remove Twitter from Section 230 uh, protections. Twitter is a platform, you know, and as a as a platform, Twitter is not liable for what they deem as disinformation or misinformation or conspiracy theories or whatnot. They get on a platform. They're not liable through those Section 230 protections. And I've said many times, if you remove Section 230 protections, all of a sudden, someone like me who has this little, you know, dime store blog at bradcarlson.org, if someone were to come on my blog's comment section and comment on a post accusing someone of a felony, wrongly accusing someone of a felony, that me, the proprietor of that blog, would be found to be liable. I don't want that. So from that standpoint, getting rid of Section 230 was not the answer to this. And I don't really know what the answer was other than, you know, these progressives would just, you know, condescend to these conservatives. Ah, cry me a river. Go start your own sites. Well, they attempt to start Parler, but then none of the big platforms would support it because guess what? They have the same progressive bent as the Twitter powers that be. So I say all that to say that Elon Musk purchasing Twitter was for a purpose no more pure than wanting to expand the parameters of free expression. In fact, Daniel, if we have these uh, first sound clip ready, uh, sound clips ready, uh, Elon Musk, coincidentally, or not maybe not so coincidentally, uh, attempted to make his purchase at the time he was giving a TED Talk on a lot of these very issues. So uh, cut number one, Elon Musk talking about the virtues of free speech. A good sign as to whether there is free speech is, uh, is, is someone you don't like allowed to say something you don't like? And if that is the case, then we have free speech. And it's, it's damn annoying when someone you don't like says something you don't like. That is a sign of a healthy, functioning uh, free speech situation. So for this stance... For wanting to expand the parameters and maybe opening up Twitter to everybody because it is a platform, remember. For wanting to open it up to everybody, cons- uh, excuse me, progressives absolutely flipped their gourds. 
It's like, oh my god, we, you know, that, and this is, and and um, I won't have time to develop this, but I'll get back to it in the second segment. And you have all of a sudden the Twitter board tried to put in this poison pill if Elon Musk purchased Twitter that would allow board members, shareholders, whomever, and the board unanimously approved this to buy shares at a at a deep discount and then basically dilute the stock. Well, it's, uh, cut number two, Elon Musk talks about, yeah, he's not uh, in it for the financial aspect. Here's Elon Musk, cut number two. My, my strong intuitive sense is that uh, having a public platform that is maximally trusted um, and, 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 and broadly inclusive um, is extremely important to the future of civilization. But you've, um, you've described I, yourself. I, I don't care about the economics at all. So there you have it. Uh, yeah, th- again, I, Elon Musk, ideologically, I don't know that we as conservatives should really you know, tie our hopes to someone like this. Because let's face it, his company Tesla, through its uh, green energy initiatives, i.e. electric cars, have received a lot of government subsidies and has been the beneficiary of this uh, cronyism. And he's not really dogged on the issue involving China. But therein lies the point. These progressives that are making that point, it's like, well, you do realize that Twitter is allowing members of the Chinese Communist Party to post content on Twitter, but a former president of the United States, i.e. Donald Trump, is not? You, you, you don't see the, uh, the, the fallacy in, in your statement there? We'll have a lot more to say on this uh, when we uh, come back in. as me, Brad Carlson, the closer, uh, closing out this weekend's edition of Northern Alliance Radio Network programming. Happy Easter to you and yours, my friends. We'll be back with another segment on the broadcast in mere moments. Go nowhere. Hey, welcome back. AM twelve eight of the Patriot Northern Alliance Radio Network. It is me, Brad Carlson. Thanks as always for tuning in. Wishing you and yours. A blessed Easter Sunday, for he is risen, he is risen indeed. What a joyous holiday, and uh, where uh, I am placing my hope, that is for sure. When we look around, everything that's happening in this world, all the uh, rancor and unrest, uh, we can always find hope in Jesus, that is for certain. Uh, Thank you, as always, uh, for tuning in again. Hope you and yours are having a blessed holiday, despite the weather eh, not being ideal where you're at, let's be honest. Not not the greatest, but... uh, uh, spring will be here. Spring weather will be here. Let's just hope it comes before summer. <laughs> That's for sure. But uh, continuing my uh, weighing in on Elon Musk attempting to buy Twitter. Again, this is where uh, progressives were telling on themselves. And that they just, just some of the rhetoric that happened on Twitter at the very prospect of Elon Musk opening up the platform to everybody to express an opinion, to express an idea. And you get these people that come out, oh, my God, that means these insurrectionists will be allowed to come back on and spout whatever conspiracy theories we want. And and if Trump comes back on, oh, my gosh, he's going to continue the drumbeat of the big lie, the stolen election, and yada, yada, yada. And it's almost as if these progressives who are clutching their pearls and running to their proverbial fainting couches. It's almost as if 
they can't defend their ideas on their merits. Because if you honestly 100% believe in what you're touting and believe it's right and believe it's pure and believe it's moral, then the best way to defeat bad, objectionable, even bat, crap, crazy speech is more speech, is rational speech, is a coherent argument. So to me, progressives are telling on themselves. And there have been some conspiracy theories going around that Elon Musk's per, uh, uh, attempted purchase of Twitter, you know, because a guy's worth, you know, hundreds of billions. So if he were to dump $40 billion into Twitter and it implodes, to me, number one, that'd almost be worth it. Okay, and secondly, it's a, it's, it's a rounding error to him. He can cut his losses, no problem, he'll be fine. But to me, uh, or I guess one of the conspiracies going around is like, well, he's making this offer and they'll reject it and Twitter will go back to the way it's always been. And it's like, that may be true, but they can never put this genie back in the bottle where they told on themselves, where they flat out said the mission, where they said the quiet part out loud, that they want full content moderation. They don't. They don't believe in the value of free speech. Now, again, Twitter's not subject to first to the First Amendment. Okay, so this idea that uh, conservatives, when they go around saying, "Oh, my First Amendment rights are being violated because I was suspended from Twitter," this this isn't under government purview. This isn't a government entity censoring your speech. So it's not a First Amendment issue. But I believe in the value of free speech. Okay, in a platform setting, and the the logical fallacies that progressives put forth just a sight to behold uh, based politics uh, Brad Palumbo and Hannah Cox uh, the proprietors of this uh, website uh, based-politics.com is the site uh, Brad Palumbo himself I think it was Brad Palumbo who yeah both Hannah and Brad may have put this together uh, the four most unhinged responses to Elon Musk's offer to buy Twitter how they narrowed it down to four I'll have no idea but I guess it's the more prominent blue checks. Uh, Max Boot, who's a Washington Post columnist, uh, was a George W. Bush Republican but hated Trump with an ironclad passion and basically wrote the same anti-Trump Washington Post column for, I think, all 208 weeks Donald Trump was president. That's an exaggeration, but not by much. Uh, here was his reaction. I am frightened by the impact on society and politics if Elon Musk acquires Twitter. He seems to believe that on social media, anything goes. For democracy to survive, we need more content moderation, not less. Are these people hearing themselves? When they tweet this garbage, do they read it back to themselves before they hit send? For democracy to survive, we need more content moderation, not less. Yeah, because any healthy democracy... You know, has the iron fist of a dictator or a strong man, right? To 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 censor your speech, to 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 tamp down on objectionable speech. Honest to God, these people they they're not even hearing themselves. Uh, anyways, uh, I don't know who. Oh, uh, Lila Sturgis, she's a trans activist. I don't want to leave Twitter, but it seems a given that if Musk buys it, it will be completely uninhabitable for trans people and lots of other people. Well, there again, uh, 
trans, you know, trans, whatever you think of of the transgender movement, uh, I, I don't want to say it's mainstream, but it's becoming more mainstream. Or you know, my my thought, I take kind of a more libertarian approach. I mean, from a uh, you know, from my Christian biblical worldview, it's not something I approve of. But as someone who tries to show Jesus love to everybody. I just love them unconditionally as, as Jesus would, whether I, you know, and here's the thing, you can disagree with how someone lives their life, but still love them. I mean, how they decide to live their life does not dictate whether you should love them or not. That's that's an aside for a different segment. But again, this kind of validates what I was saying in the first segment. You must not be very secure in your worldview and in your ability to defend your worldview and who you are and the life you live if you think that it's going to be made uninhabitable if you think if you think you need to run to a safe space again where where was the i would be very curious to know where the the turning point was where all of a sudden you shouldn't be exposed to ideas you find objectionable i mean this was how a lot of college students formed their worldview by taking on their liberal professors and being able to to uh uh put together a coherent uh, dissent to their college professors. And now it's shut up, they explained. Uh, the former garden gnome that was in the Clinton administration, I, uh, a.k.a. Robert B. Reich, or as Rush Limbaugh used to call him, Robert B. Reich, uh, said, call me a radical lefty, but I don't want any oligarch to control the Internet. But this, I think, was the gem. In a different tweet, uh, Reich posted a Guardian uh, opinion piece that he wrote, uh, and I'll do it in the Robert B. Reich voice. When I criticized Musk for worker violations at Tesla, he blocked me. When a college student started a Twitter account to track Musk's private plane, Musk tried to buy him off before blocking him. Does that sound like a free speech absolutist to you? How does someone like this get a high-profile job in government with that kind of rationale? Here's the thing about free speech. Free speech is allowing you to say anything you want. But you know what else is a great component of free speech? You don't have to listen to it if you don't want. There's a difference between not listening to someone's speech and censoring someone completely. If Elon Musk takes over Twitter, he's not going to be imposing his personal viewpoint of not listening to annoying speech. Okay? He said it in that very thing in that sound clip. We have free speech if someone who is annoying says something that annoys you. But guess what? That's also a great part of that component, is you don't have to listen to it. If there's a big protest down the middle of the street, downtown Minneapolis, if it's a cause I don't support, guess what? I don't have to participate. But I'm not suggesting that government officials go out there with billy clubs and fire hoses and break up that peaceful assembly. Not at all. And, Robert, by the way, the uh, Guardian opinion piece that I alluded to that Robert Reich linked to in that tweet uh, in kind of the uh, sub-headline, you know, Elon Musk's very vision for the Internet is a, is dangerous nonsense. And then in kind of the sub-headline, Musk has long advocated a libertarian vision of an uncontrolled Internet. 
That's also the dream of every dictator, strongman, and demagogue. Yeah, because when I think of Hitler, Castro, Mussolini, Stalin, I think of libertarian visions, don't you? Doggone that Hitler and that Mussolini and and Castro, they just wouldn't have, uh, I mean, their just reckless expansion of ideas and free expression and citizens to express themselves. Honest to God. This is a guy who sat in a presidential administration as a labor secretary. It's just, I I mean, again, this has been a very uh, revealing exercise in these far-left progressives coming out and saying what they really mean. They're giving up the game. As much as the Twitter powers that be tried to gaslight you and say, well, no, 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 we, 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 don't, we, don't, we don't moderate content based on ideology. Ideology alone, we have this very stringent terms of service that we have to follow to the letter of the law, and and, and it's uh, uh, it's ideologically neutral, and and you knew that was a lie, you knew that was garbage, because some of the the bilge that was put out on there is far worse than anything that a censored conservative said that got them censored. You know, so. Uh, Again, I don't know where this goes. Again, CNBC.com had a report where the Twitter board did unanimously adopt a poison pill after Elon Musk put forth his, it was $43 billion uh, to buy the company. Uh, I'll just read a quick excerpt, then we'll go to a break. Uh, Twitter adopted a limited-duration shareholder rights plan, often called a poison pill, a day after billionaire Elon Musk offered to buy the company for $43 billion, the company announced Friday. The board voted unanimously to adopt the plan. Not the shareholders, just the board. They include the shareholders on this one. Uh, under the new structure, if any person or group acquires beneficial ownership of at least 15% of Twitter's outstanding common stock without the board's approval... Other shareholders will be allowed to purchase additional shares at a discount. The plan is set to expire on April 14, 2023, so basically one-year time limit. Uh, such a move is a common way to fend off a potential hostile takeover by diluting the stake of the entity eyeing the takeover. Again, Elon Musk's biggest sin is normally when there's a hostile takeover, you kind of take over a company and you know, the corporate raiders where you kind of break it up and you know the sum is uh, of the parts is... Uh, uh, what am I trying to say here? The sum of its parts is greater than the whole of its parts, I guess. So you try to you know break it up that way. Elon Musk is trying to do the exact opposite. He's trying to open it up to more people. So it's not necessarily a hostile takeover within the traditional definition of it, but Elon Musk took Twitter and said, well, if the current Twitter board takes actions contrary to shareholder interests, because again, it was only the board that voted on this, they would be breaching their fiduciary duty. The liability they would thereby assume would be titanic in scale. So we definitely not have not heard the last of this, and there is not enough popcorn in the world for me to sit back and watch all this unfold. I tell you, last Thursday was the most fun day I've had on Twitter in a long, long, long time. Back in, uh, with another segment on the broadcast, me, Brad Carlson, The Closer, closing out this week's edition of Northern Alliance Radio Network Programming. Back in mere moments. Go nowhere. Welcome back. AM twelve eighty the Patriot Northern Alliance Radio Network. It is me, Brad Carlson, closing out the weekend festivities. 
of the Narn. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Hope you and yours are having a blessed Easter Sunday. Yeah, a lot of uh, radio shows, weekend radio shows, may take off the entire weekend, including Friday, of Good Friday and Easter. But not the Northern Alliance Radio Network. We are uh, here, and uh, we're making it happen. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. I got a uh, short segment here before I wrap up with the uh, final segment, but I uh, was alerted to this Alpha News story uh, about a uh, rollover accident that uh, DFL elected officials got into. It was specifically Minnesota State Auditor Julie Blaha and State Minority Leader Melissa Lopez Franzen. They, this is from Alpha News. They collided with a semi-truck as they drove from Farm Fest to an after-party fundraising event on August 4th of last year. Uh, their vehicle rolled off the road in Three Lakes Township, but nobody, thankfully, was seriously injured. Blaha was driving and was found to uh, was found was not found to have any alcohol in her system after the accident. Franzen, however, said she had been drinking White Claws earlier that day. So when they say there's no laws with White Claws, I guess it's not true. Uh, but um, but. No, Franzen was not driving, and um, but and she was not. Uh, the claim was, well, you know, I was drinking White Claws, but not while I was in the vehicle. Uh, at uh, as first responders strapped her to an immobilization board, Franzen called Minnesota DFL Party Chair Ken Martin to the scene. He was apparently in the area for Farm Fest. He showed up in a fully branded party van, and was later described by one of the first responders as the point of contact here. A dash cam video of the incident, which includes body camera audio, shows that Martin spoke with officers on site, ensuring that they knew who they were dealing with. So this story got a little play because obviously it's public figures, a DFL senator and a um, DFL office holder, one of the constitutional offices, in this case, state auditor. So the media gave it its courtesy mentioned and, you know, thankfully the, the ladies were okay no alcohol was involved. However, there are a couple of issues at play here. Number one, it is against the law to have an open alcohol container in your vehicle, regardless if anybody's drinking it or not. And the and that and that's relevant because photos released from the scene showed that there was an empty uh, white claw can near the vehicle. And Melissa Franzen, Lopez Franzen, explained, well, I, you know, I was drinking it there, but I wanted to throw it in a recycling bin, so I carried it with me until I found a recycling bin to throw it away. Well, Michael Broadcorp, independent journalist and Northern Alliance Radio Network alum, uh, found pictures from FarmFest and indicated, um, look at here, here are all these pictures and here are all these recycling bins. That doesn't seem to square with Senator Franzen's story that, well, she just wanted to find a recycling bin to throw it away. Now, it's possible... It's possible she had finished the can, put it in her backpack, and when she found a recycling bin on the grounds of Farm Fest, would throw it away and just forgot and forgot it was in there. Okay, that's entirely plausible. But the initial reports, and this is from uh, uh, Kyle Hooten's uh, Alpha News report. Let me see, let me be sure I find the correct excerpt. Uh, the responding officers, in both their field reports and in conversations at the scene, they explicitly explicitly described the white claw as open, cold, and pretty full. Uh, the firefighter said contents of the white claw came out when he was retrieving the bag and it was still cold. 
I looked at the black bag, and it appeared a small amount of the white claw had come out of the can onto the bag. The white claw was cold to the touch, Trooper Daniel Walker wrote in his report. So, initially, when these reports were released, you had law enforcement officials, whomever is in charge of making these decisions, to say, you know what, we're not going to go with any charges beyond, uh, I think uh, Auditor Blaha was cited for you know, uh, moving violation, reckless driving, whatever it was, don't remember. And that was it. Not the open uh, alcohol container. Which, given the problems that DFLers have had with driving under the influence of alcohol lately, uh, would not be a good look. And then you have Ken Martin, the chair of the party, rolling up in a DFL-branded party bus. How was that for a sight? Basically saying to the officers, do you know who these people are? What, so the the, the first responders are not going to do their due diligence on a, on a regular citizen, but give special dispensation to DFL office holders? I mean, why, why, is, why is who they are relevant? I mean, if they've suffered injuries, they're going to get the same attention, emergency attention, as it was, as it would be a regular citizen, I would hope. So, again, there are a lot of questions here. It's like, okay, so they if the container was somewhat full, pretty full, and open, that's a violation. But they weren't cited for that. Why not? Did it have something to do with the DFL party boss showing up and saying, don't you know who these people are? And getting some sort of break? Now, a lot of people are making a big deal. Why would you all call the DFL party boss to come out and, and assist you? Well, to be fair, they knew he was nearby. And they knew he'd be readily available. Because some people say, why didn't these women call you know members of their family and whatnot? Well, they were probably closer to people they knew were in the area. So I, I don't think there's as much there as some people are making out. But the question of whether they had special treatment or not, I think remains an open question. And... and of course, the Star Tribune, after this Alpha News story came out, guess what? Republicans pounce. Well, it didn't exactly say that. It said Minnesota Republicans question investigation into car crash involving two DFL leaders. This is classic mainstream media. Classic mainstream media. Where the atrocity that's committed is not as severe as the Republican reaction to it. So if a DFLer or progressive or whomever commits a crime or a misdemeanor or whatnot, that's that's not a big deal, but it's the Republican reaction to it. That's the egregious offense here. I mean, it's it's just so predictable. Uh again, you 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 might have a point here that some Republican Minnesota Republicans, particularly the uh state party, they put out a reaction. They put out a public statement regarding this. I know some office holders, including friend of the broadcast, Karen Housley, had some questions. You 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 might have a point that they're overreacting if you didn't do this yourself earlier this year when Senators uh, John Jasinski, a Republican out of Faribault, and Mark Johnson, another Republican, I forget which, uh, he's I think he's more up in the northern part of the state, two Republican state senators got into a snowmobile accident. Uh, I guess there was one senator that came to a stop, and the other senator's snowmobile struck the other one, and there was some minor injuries. Thankfully, they recovered. And the DNR was on the scene, did a full investigation, and quickly said alcohol is not a factor. 
Case closed, right? Well, not for the DFL. You had DFL officials coming out saying, okay, okay. What really happened? Come on now. Tell us what really happened. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. So if you want to play this game of Republicans are overreacting to a big nothing burger, um, fine and dandy, but you don't live up to that same standard yourself. I'm just saying. So I think that's, but this here is a legitimate question to be asked. If there was an official report saying, yeah, the container I found in the backpack was cold and it was open and yeah, it was pretty full, then yes, there was an open alcohol container in the vehicle, a misdemeanor, basically a slap on the wrist. Why were there no charges brought? And if it belonged to Melissa Franzen and she got slapped with a misdemeanor, okay, she has to take responsibility for that. She's already said she's not running for reelection. Okay, at last redistricting, she got paired with Senator Ron Latz, who went to Harvard. I don't know if he's mentioned that in the past 24 hours. Uh, <clears throat> I digress. So as a result, she's not running for re-election. So whatever, she moves on. Now, may, may, might it inhibit her future prospects, a public incident like this? Who's to say? But there is legit reason to suspect that these two got special treatment, and that's why the questions are persisting. As they should. 651-289-4488 is the number to not call because it is Easter Sunday and we are not taking calls on the broadcast today. Uh, But we're glad to be with you on this Easter Sunday. We are hoping you are having a blessed day with your families thus far. And we'll be back with one final short segment on the broadcast with me, Brad Carlson. Go nowhere. Welcome back, AM 1280 The Patriot. Northern Alliance Radio Network with me, Brad Carlson. Amen. Happy Easter, folks. It's me, Brad Carlson. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. I don't know if you've heard that good news or not. But yes, just uh, shy of 2,000 years ago, Jesus laid... To die in a cross, thrown into a grave, and then three days later he rose again. He is alive, and he is risen. And for that, we can be grateful. That is where our true hope can be. A lot of people, when they think Easter, you know, they celebrate in different ways. Some do it. They don't assign any religious uh, connotation to it. They do strictly some of the fun, frivolous stuff like, uh, uh, you know, Hunting for Easter eggs or, you know, going to visit the Easter Bunny, getting photo ops with Easter Bunny, getting your kids photo ops with Easter Bunny like you do with Santa Claus on Christmas. Uh, Where did that tradition start? Well, comedian Jim Gaffigan has some thoughts. Uh, Cut number four, Daniel. Easter, that's a weird tradition. Easter, the day Jesus rose from the dead, what should we do? How about eggs? (laughs) Well, what does that have to do with Jesus? All right, we'll hide them. I don't don't follow your logic. Don't worry, there's a bunny. Ridiculous. Okay, well, that clears it up for me. (laughs) Kind of a fun look back on this. But, uh, you know, what Easter means to a lot of us, those of us uh, in the audience who are Bible-believing Christians, and, you know, talks about uh, the resurrection, you know, how he was willing to die for our sins so that we could be redeemed so that we could 
be with him in heaven one day. And there's nothing we could do to deserve this or earn this. It's all through God's grace. That's what the overwhelming part of this is, is there's nothing we could have could do to to deserve this. Okay? You know, they talk about mercy. Mercy is is not getting what you deserve, but grace is receiving something you don't deserve. Uh, I found this clip yesterday from Alistair Begg. He's a uh, pastor uh, at a church in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, a Scot, born in Glasgow, if you're wondering where the accent is from. I can't tell you how many times I watched this video yesterday, um, but it pretty much says it all about the about the death and the uh, resurrection. Pastor Alistair Begg, cut number five. If you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing— Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I can't can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you 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 were cussing the guy out with your friend. You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, ne- you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, uh, did Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. Think I'll get the supervisor ranger. So, we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? Guys, I've never heard of it in my life. And and what about? Let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said. The man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. Amen. Uh, For purposes of full disclosure, Alistair Begg, he is the senior pastor of Cleveland's Parkside Church, located in Bainbridge uh, Township in Ohio. So there you have it. Wow. Um, Says it all, doesn't it? For him, for God to give of his only son so that we could have everlasting life. You know, one of the first, you know, I, I've i told my story when I've done a broadcast on our sister station, AM 980, the Christian station. My Part of my, uh, you know, I was, I accepted Jesus as my Savior when I was age 16, back in 1985. And one of the very first scriptures I memorized was Romans 5.8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's nothing we could have done to have earned that. Nothing we could do to deserve that. There's nothing we could do to, to, to earn salvation. Even after 
you know, now that we've, you know, repented and given our lives to Jesus, you know, we still don't deserve it, but he's made us more than, more than conquerors. And that's why when we're here on earth and we desire to do great works, it's not for our own self-fulfillment per se. It's not to make God love us more. I mean, how much more can he love us? He gave his only son at the cross, a brutal death. I don't know how you could demonstrate your love more clearly than that. But when we do these good works for God's kingdom, if we're doing it out of a place because we're so thankful to have received something that we don't deserve, that's what makes it so fulfilling. That's what makes it so rewarding. And again, it's a, it's it's not to you know post on Facebook or Instagram and say, "Look what I'm doing in my community," and you know be there for the likes or the comments or you know the edification. It's great you're you know you you posted on social media to be an ambassador for God's kingdom, for other people to want to know more and to ask you about it. But it shouldn't be a self serving thing. And if you're doing it. Because you're genuinely grateful for what he's done for us. That is overflowing joy. Where my cup runneth over. And thank you, Jesus, for your ultimate sacrifice and your own salvation and your repentance is very symbolic of the resurrection where your old ways have died. And when you rose again, you're now anew. And that's how I look at it. So I love this holiday. For he is risen, he is risen indeed. That is the good news, the best news. And it gives us hope in what is otherwise very, very perilous times in this world. God bless you all, folks. Have a blessed rest of your Easter Sunday. And we look forward to talking to you again. God bless. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.